You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Sunday to you all. Welcome to the Helix Hour Plus. We are live and this is also the third season finale. It's hard to believe we've actually made it through three seasons from just an idea I had a while back. But we thought we would extend a great invitation to uh, this fellow, Mr. Billy Sheehan, had come back on to uh, wrap out the season. Billy, it's great to have you back. How are you, my friend? Doing great. Thanks very much. It's nice to have you back. I just want to give you a heartfelt thank you uh, for all the support you've given here on the channel. I mean, you've been over on the EVH show once. This makes your second appearance over here on the Helix Hour. And fans love you as, as I do as well, too. And you're really good with the fans. You connect with them. Uh, on levels that we don't see with a lot of, uh, you know, celebrities in the rock and roll world today. So uh, hats off to you and, and thank you kindly. My pleasure, because I'm not a celebrity, I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know what it's like out there. So uh, I'm glad to help my uh, fellow players, of course. And uh, everything I own uh, and have came from somebody buying a ticket, a CD, a record or a, or a, or a T-shirt. So, uh, you know, I... I do uh, appreciate that very much. I remember how you said that this was really cool. I'm not gonna. I don't. I can never quote people properly because I won't say it well. But on the last time you were on the show, one of the last visits, you had said something along the fi- lines of like, "Okay, I might have so many thousand uh, likes on my pages, whatever, but I don't look them as fans. You're, as, you look at them as friends, you know." And Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and it's true. A lot of times, uh, I, I I don't know if I should say anything about it, but I hate those paid meet and greets. Yes. I hate that. It's just, see, I feel like, oh, I feel dirty from doing it. Sometimes we just have to. It's in some kind of contract, mm-hmm. whatever we got to do. So we'll make the best of it, of course. But I come out after show, pretty much every show, and do my free meet and greet, <laughs> hang with people. And I, I've got friends all over the world, you know, that uh, come out and see, you know, just to say hello after the show and, it, it's it's a really great thing, you know. It's a one of the really great uh, uh, extra perks of of playing is you you just get to know people all over the world, and it helps your point of view on many many things. Agreed. And sometimes, and I've I've been on both sides of those meet and greets. You know, I've met fan like people like yourself. You know, backstages at shows, you're outside in the parking lot, and I've also paid for the meet and greets. And sometimes you do kind of feel like, okay, next. I remember as a, as a young, you know, a young adult, I met David Copperfield, the magician at a, at a big event. It was a paid meet and greet. And it was almost like they could have had a, a mannequin there with a hand extended. You shake his hand and you walk on by. No offense to him, but just like you said as well, too, you know, the, the management or whatever, they present these opportunities. And it just wasn't, you didn't connect. But, you know, outside the club, even yeah. though you're sweaty and tired or hopping in the motorhome or the bus or whatever it could be, you know, you still take the time to do that. And it's very awesome. Well, I, I do appreciate it, and I uh, appreciate people come out to see me play and listen to what I do. That's very kind. Awesome. Before we jump into the show, going to do two things. I want to mention a big happy birthday to one of our show sponsors. Jim Reed is one of our sponsors. He owns a company called Stuart Travel Guitar Company. It's his birthday today, so I want to wish a very happy birthday to Jim. 
And I want to say hi to a whole bunch of people that come to see Strictly You today over in the chat. I can say hi to a million people real fast. And there's actually a question right off the hop, too. So we'll jump into that. So we have Einar Freeberg here as well. Uh, he uh, And actually, he says... Um, a couple questions for Billy. Does Billy ever second guess himself or was second guessing yourself ever an equation? So you're out there trying to, you know, prove yourself on the scene. Did you ever think that you had the talent with our, you know, question your talent before you just went out there and did your thing or no? Well, I, n I never considered that I had any talent, really. I'm just a good troubleshooter. <laughs> I, I, I say it with all seriousness. Like, uh, I've got these hands and here's a bass. And it's similar to the bass the guy who I'm hearing has. So how do I get those notes out of this with these hands? And that's basically my, my thing. And I don't, um, I never really look at myself with, you know, any kind of regard, if you will, I'm, because I'm just, I'm just looking at the next hill I got to climb, you know? Uh, so I, uh, as far as second guess, I, I don't know. I, um, I just, I just know there's a, there's about a thousand more mountains, to climb a thousand that I can see right. probably more than that I just can't even see them yet that's right and uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm uh, my, my goal is to just keep climbing them just because it's an incredible thing to climb a mountain in that in that uh, uh, philosophical uh, point in a way no I get and it I want to I, I want to learn I want to improve we're down here in my little uh, home studio thing I'm down here as soon as the cat wakes me up and she gets fed I get down here and start working uh, almost every single day for many hours and it's extremely satisfying once I get over the hump once I get my hands up to speed it takes about 15 minutes maybe half an hour maybe 45 minutes or an hour but then from there on then there's a lot more exploring to do but you know it's 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 an ongoing adventure and I'm glad about that well for those that don't know you talked about your cat let's talk about spooky tell us about spooky because she actually kind of I think she warms you up you're practicing and she's right there on your lap tell us a little bit about spooky well, she's gone. well. She's right. You can't see her. She's off camera, but she's curled up. And when I start playing, it gets a little loud. She puts her arm over her ear. It's hilarious. <laughs> and she has to be on my lap almost all the time. She wants to be on you. She's just a ball of love. So sometimes I gotta I gotta practice like this while she's on my lap, and until she finally gets annoyed with the moving around and goes finds another place. But still worth it, she, though, isn't it? She's over twenty years old now. Oh, so yeah. Well, that's great. Getting up there. I imagine she's very happy to see you come back. For, you just got back from Summer Nam, which we'll talk about in a few minutes as well, too, but probably very happy to see you home. Well, you were right, almost home. You're in Nashville, but you probably weren't home. Did you kind of go to the event, come right back home, or did you stay at a hotel downtown? Or No, it's, it's pretty cool. About 15 minutes from my house. It's, it's an easy ride. It's like about a 20 bucks for Uber. So it's about $20 for parking. So I figured, well, I'll, I'll break even. I just Uber down there. It'll save me the trouble. And uh, it was nice having it this close. And uh, the Nashville scene is uh, is not quite as hectic and chaotic as the uh, L.A. show. The L.A. show is yeah. quite a bit larger, though. It's almost sometimes up to over 300,000 people. But it was quite uh, well attended and quite um, uh, all the uh, things on display. It was, it was more of a guitar show than and a full-on where they've got everything at the NAM and show in uh, California, PA systems and pro audio stuff and all this. it was more of a guitar show but there was still a lot of other great things there yeah and uh there's a great great music community here I, i've been enjoying it very much i forget when last time what like what, exactly when it was you're on last time but uh, you just moved to nashville now did you were you in nashville for last summer nam or is this your first summer nam being in nashville now i was here i, I lived here but i was on the road <laughs> okay that so was probably my first summer nam yeah sons of apollo at that time 
It was, exactly, yeah. Fantastic. We'll talk about some of that later on in the program as well, too. Some winery dogs as well, too, because you had an anniversary, which we'll talk about very, very soon. But to continue down the line here, some uh, phenomenal fans, friends. I want to use, I'm going to start start saying friends, <laughs> not fans. Uh, Brad Miller, Arnold Freiburg, uh, they continue on. Uh, Django Amadeus O'Connor sent a super chat and says, uh, does Mr. Sheehan share any of his presets and IRs? I would love to see what he was doing to get that tone. Uh, yeah, well, we, uh, if, in case anyone doesn't know, we spoke with a little test call before uh, we actually did this call to make sure everything's working. And I'll be happy to give up uh, any of my presets. It's just that a lot of them are in various stages of uh, completion. <laughs> and they're always, and I, I oftentimes I'll copy a preset to another spot and then do the uh, do the tweaks on it there. And so it's not much different than the other one. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed today, because someone sent me, a dear friend of mine, John Willis, who's a Helix Grandmaster, he sent me a preset for me to try. But uh, one of the uh, uh, important points is how you're set up, how you're plugged in, how you're going in and going out of the Helix. So for mine, it's a particularly separate thing because I, go, I got two outputs from my base. So I got two inputs into the Helix and two outputs to two different amps, two different separate sounds mm -hmm. so on the input i've got to pan the one input right one put left one input left and then they can do separate outputs so if that's not set up for a preset whatever blocks you have they're not coming out of the right place and not of the right volume so it's a little bit complicated so but I'll, I'll be happy to share it anyway and you and anyone that gets it is uh welcome to you know, save it and then uh, copy it over to another spot and chop it up and do whatever you need to. But the basis of the preset is the Pierce preamp, a clean channel and a distortion channel. That's how what I used forever since the late 70s. Right. Uh, and you can turn, and the way I had my Pierce configured is you turn the distortion channel on or off. The clean channel is always on. Okay. So that's basically that. So when you're tired of the distortion, you just want to clean, you know... So it's just clean tone. Uh, you can turn the distortion off. Then when you turn it back on again, you get all the. All, the, all the crazy harmonics, uh, all that nonsense. Uh, and then there's a separate output for the. I don't know if you can even hear this on the iPhone. It's a really super deep low end, right. which is the uh, neck position pickup. has its own separate uh, chain of uh, blocks, input and output. And uh, so I'll be, I'll be glad to share it. It's a pretty specialized thing. You can probably um, uh, modify it. Whoever gets it can probably modify it to some degree. But it's not uh, really a completed work yet. No problem. Uh, and uh, at some point, I had uh, John Willis over to my house uh, the beginning of uh, this week. And uh, we, we had a great time. And we did some great uh, Helix experiments. And we uh, discovered a lot of things. And... Uh, Hopefully, we'll make a couple more. But initially, I was uh, approached by uh, Line 6 to uh, offer my uh, presets in a, in a store, which mm -hmm. is very kind of them, very nice. But, you know, it's only going to be worth the – it's not going to be worth, like, a lot of money to me. And I, and like I said to you earlier, I'm happy to just give them away. It's okay. You know, I, I, it's, it's not – you know, I, everybody could use more money. But, uh, <laughs> but why don't you keep – money by not having to pay for for my presets yeah so it's fine with me that people people have them 
save save it for a winery dogs ticket or a sons of apollo ticket or the blu-ray that's there coming out that kind of stuff that's a perfect idea that's right <laughs> now i saw but some I of those on the last uh, winery dogs tour uh i started out with an alternative to the helix with a couple of uh the Suncoast preamps, which are quite spectacular. The guy on Buffalo, Jim Sikora, bought up all the Pierce parts and makes a Pierce and a pedal, which is great. Really fantastic. And uh, But I had used the Helix a lot for the last couple of years and uh, since it came out. And I had both setups on, on top of my amp to switch between the two. Well, needless to say, I got too much concern to do the show to be thinking about that. I was foolish on my part. So uh, I did a couple nights with the with the analog stuff. It was good. Then I went back to the Helix, and I just kind of felt like I was going home again. So I think I've acclimated to the device quite a bit. However, I still do use, I'll do a little look over there at my setup. You can see the uh, the Suncoast preamp okay. on top of the Helix Yep. since I don't use the, uh, the pedal, right. the volume pedal. And the great thing about that Suncoast is it's got an amazing clean channel. And I've heard that clean channel come out of the Helix, but I haven't been able to really capture it myself yet. It also has a compressor in it that is just great. We're trying, we try to talk Jim Sikora into, could you just make the, the limiter in a box from the, uh, <laughs> from the uh, Pierce? Uh, well, someday I'll, I'll, I'll bribe him with enough uh, money or something. I'll, I'll get him to do it. But... Uh, because I haven't really been uh, good at being able to tweak out the compressors in the Helix. Okay. It's an ongoing concern of mine. So sometimes underneath it now, you can't see it. There's I've got an Ashley compressor, which I normally used in my rack with all analog gear before. And it's a uh, unmistakably great, awesome pro audio compressor. Now, I do know of software compressors that are mind-blowing. The Apollo... UAD Apollo stuff. Right. It's got some amazing software compressors. But for some reason, the Helix compressors and me, I, 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 I'm not really uh, grooved in on them. Okay. Something and again, I haven't had the opportunity to sit down with the Helix in a big room, loud, and really go through everything like I want to. So life keeps getting in the way of doing that. Of course. And that's something I really want to do because I'm, I'm confident that it's all in there. But it's a it's a work in progress. And something for you too. It's not like the average home player that's just going to play through studio monitors. You need to be trying this at earth shattering volumes, you know, for stage volumes because that's going to make a big difference. It makes a huge difference. And uh, John Willis pointed out to me that the, it's a thing called the um, Fletcher Munson curve, and it's a funny thing. Low, quiet in the studio now. <laughs> screaming harmonica that's it plugged in through an app so things change it does it just ain't the same and uh it's an odd curve wet where when you that's why there's a loudness button on your home stereo when you turn it down it mimics the way it sounds when it's loud a kick because our ears hear things differently at different volumes one of the things that happens is the high end and the low end go through the roof when you start turning stuff up that's why a lot of my stuff through the years have been very mid-rangey uh, and some people have taken issue with that until they turn it up. Because mm -hmm. then that, that mid-range flattens right out. So you get a pretty pretty uh, even curve. And then I've got two sound sources, so I have to kind of overlap the low and the high pickup into the two different amps. So it's been a little tricky. But I've had some amazing nights with the Helix. In all honesty, I've had some nights, too, where 
It just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. Could be several factors there. And one thing I always try to look at first is that it's me and my hands. Well said, well said. And uh, that's a very important thing because a lot of times you're sitting home, months go by, you pick up the Helix and you're working on it or you're, whatever you play through it, Helix or a Kemper or a Fractal or whatever, they're all they're all comparable, I believe. Uh, and uh, it's not quite right. So you adjust, 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 great. And then you get up and start playing and you're slowly, your hands get in shape and suddenly the amp is just not working anymore. Well, it's two completely different approaches. When I play, I play really hard, but when I'm when I'm beginning a tour, I'm not playing as hard, so that compressor is going to be wildly different uh, in how it treats the volume of the note coming out of the bass. So, needless to say, there's a billion billion combinations of little things. So, uh, recently, a couple of people that have got the Helix have written to me. I said, start off easy, mm -hmm. open up one thing, get used to it. One block, you know, get get play it through an amp, get it loud. And eventually, uh, I think things uh, come in. They, they all fall in place. Because I've had some nights. The last Winery Dogs tour uh, was only four weeks. But the second two weeks, my hands were really in shape. Mm -hmm. And man, it, 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 it was glorious. It was really great. Magical. Well, I have utmost respect for you when you say, okay, you blame yourself first. Usually in any scenario, if, I'm, if I do something wrong... Um, if something goes wrong, I blame myself as well, too. So I have res huge respect for that. And something I say on my show a lot, both on the EVH side and over here on the Helix side, too, is that with digital gear, uh, which this is why I love Helix. I come in here, I have a, a, my Line 6 wireless plugged into the Helix rack, and, and uh, I usually run through either my monitor systems or through the power cabs. And the only thing that changes every time I walk in through the door into the studio only thing that changes is my attitude if i'm in a good mood a bad mood um you know it's you know who knows what yeah. mojo's with you or not so the digital gear is ready to take what it receives now you you've you've been touring for countless years you've had backline provided for you you've brought your own backline you never know what you're going to get you don't know what the humidity is like the temperatures like voltages like a lot of that analog gear which is incredible stuff there always will be but you don't know what you're going to get. At least with the digital you do, it's only up to you what you give it. Yeah, there's still variables that could happen. Yeah. The, uh, the, the temperature, your situation, and the, uh, in the, uh, how close you are to your amp, the, the spaces around it, and the venue, all those things are, are a factor. And with analog stuff, I do believe it's true. I experienced it myself back in the old SVT days in the early 70s. Those tube filaments bounce like crazy when they're back of a trailer going over a bumpy road, and they move. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it, it can be different night to night. Uh, uh, maybe just infinitesimal difference, but still there's some difference. That's why I do, from early on, my goal was to get at line level exactly the tone I wanted and then be able to get that as loud or quiet as I needed. And that was why I went to preamps and power amps because I could just turn that that output of that preamp down and it shouldn't change the sound of it at all whereas with an analog amp you've got transformer core distortion and the uh, power tube distortion and all kinds of things that are affecting it as it gets louder or, or quieter right so i went with all pro audio and line level stuff so this is line level basically going into my amps i'm using the hard key lh1000 and their hd cabinets which are are pretty unforgiving and i say that uh just as a matter of uh, observation, it's not one of those amps you plug into it and automatically things are smooth and easy. Right. You got to work for it with those amps. 
oftentimes I, I often make the analogy for people to plug into your home stereo. There's an AUGS input in your home stereo. Plug in and try and play a bass or a guitar through that. Oh my God, it's it's like you know trudging through mud. Every note you got to work so hard for, and the dynamic range is is so great that the quietest notes are gone, the loudest notes are overwhelming. So it's a, it's an interesting thing uh, when you when you take a line level uh, signal and get it louder and all the things that happen with that. But but anyway, back to the original point. Yeah, your hands are most of the tone is in your hands. I mean, th th your your show right. is about the helix, but it really is in your hands. There's little fine things that help you hear it better. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big factor. Because I, I know if I hear my bass sometimes really loud, it's almost harder to play. Where, so when I'm recording a lot of times, playback, when I'm, when I'm laying tracks down, it's, it's quiet enough to talk over, which is, which is kind of cool. Rather than have this blasting, uh, you know, uh, recording session with, with blowing your ears out. I, so I can hear the fine-tune fine of everything that I'm playing. And when I practice here uh, at home, it's not... I mean, I can talk over it. It's still... Yeah. It's not a loud thing, so so that's that's my story, Sabatru. <laughs> well, here's here's a question for you. Tell me, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I, I'd like to hear your input. So uh, with Helix, I, I can achieve, like myself as a guitar player, I can achieve some of the tones of some of my favorite guitar players growing up, from the Eddie Van Halens to you know to Kiss to blah 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 to anybody anybody in between. Steve Vai, some of your colleagues and people like that. But I think when people say, I want to get Billy Sheehan's tone, or I want to get Steve Vai's tone, or I want to get Eddie Van Halen's tone, I don't think that they're necessarily talking about the live tone, because you're, everyone's live tone changes somewhat over the years. I think they want to have their favorite record they want to emulate. Would you agree that that's something when people go to these digital modeling devices, when they say, I want to get so-and-so's tone, they want it off the record kind of thing? Would you say so? Yeah, and there's a, a lot of subjective uh, thing about it. You love a song, and you love this band, and you love that time in your life, so you want that tone. Well, that's not necessarily the tone yeah. that made all that happen. You know, it's kind of a, you know, I, I, I read a great book. Uh, I think it was called Everything is Bullshit. And they <laughs> talked about guys, uh, these, they, they took wine, uh, you know, some $2 wines that took the labels off and put it in front of us for so many years. And only a small percentage of them actually could figure out what was real mm -hmm. great stuff and, and what was what was the $2 to the two-buck chuck. You know, and it's interesting that when you see the label on the wine bottle, it changes how you perceive it. Agreed. So if you perceive it as a fantastic wine, go ahead and pay 100 bucks for it. You know, <laughs> who knows what's inside of us and what's inside of us and what we perceive things to be. So I think sometimes, you know, loving a particular tone, they can have a lot more to it than just the sonic qualities. So it has, you know, because you love that song or that time of your life. But there's nothing wrong with chasing it down and being able to duplicate it because I think you never will fully 100% duplicate it. And when you do that adventure, you find tones that become useful to you. As you play them, they morph and change and alter, and pretty soon you've got your own thing. Your hands, plus what you're playing through, uh, becomes your signature sound. And it does pretty much with everybody. Um, just like the DNA, your fingerprint, and the iris, and the eye, they're, uh, they're different on everybody. So you can hear some tones that are really close, but it'll never be an exact duplicate, I don't think. Of course. And because you're talking about the you know, iris of the eye, I want to ask your opinion on this. 
uh, I talked about this on a Helix Hour roundtable the other day. I had some of my friends in the uh, the Helix community, well-respected uh, gentlemen around the, the globe, and we're talking about just our love of you know Helix 2.8 updates, new power cap, and things like that. And I said, I brought up a term, listening with our eyes. We don't normally think we do that. So you talk about the $2 bottle, bottle of wine. We take our eyes away. That $2 and $100 bottle are now uh, even plate. So one time I was creating a preset uh, in Helix, and I had a stock cab. And I had uh, I purchased Celestian an EVH uh, a a G12 EVH speaker because you know I like the EVH stuff. And one toggle would turn on the IR, one would turn on the cab, so it'd be on off, right? A B kind of thing. And uh, so I'm I'm watching HX edit, and as I'm playing my chords, whatever, you know, doing some riffs, I'm looking at the screen, and I'm on the IR, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is a sweet spot. All right. Then I go to the stock cab. No, I don't like it as much. My eyes, I'm listening with my eyes now at this point. I look away and I'm kind of riffing away, kind of getting in the zone. I must have stepped on it a couple times. Don't know what the variables were. I look back and I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Of course, I'm on the IR. I look back at HX edit and I was on stock cab. And I was thrilled for, for several reasons. Number one, I was fooled by my eyes and ears. And number two, now when I tell people that they can bring Helix home from the store, they don't necessarily, I mean, I have no problem p- purchasing IRs. I don't, uh, you know, con- I don't say don't buy IRs. Go, there's great ones out there, millions. Um, but you can bring it home from the store and have everything uh, rated within the, uh, the unit itself. And I was fooled by that. And I, I was happy to discover that. Yeah, very good. It is a, uh, I think the first person I heard it from was either David Lee Roth or Gene Simmons when they said, talk about people going to see a band, they, they hear with their eyes. Yeah. And it's true, what they see affects a lot of what they hear. And uh, and the way you see a guy playing, when you see a bass player just, you know, doing his thing, okay, well, you see a guy out there, you know, hitting it, it you know, it's it's it seems different, even though if you listen to the uh, in the recording truck, it sounds exactly the same. So it's a funny thing. And I think it's uh, you can go down that wormhole and get lost forever, of course. Yep. But it's it's good to know that it exists. And uh, keep in mind, if you're really uh, fallen into a hole and can't get out of it, step back, start again, go with what you know, do a setup in the Helix or whatever you're using. That's real common sense or real simple. Start again, and 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 try to uh, get it as get the least amount of subjectivity out of it as possible, and try to really observe what's happening there. But but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time for for gear because we've got unlimited uh, choices at any given time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're in Pro Tools, uh, well, let's put a. Uh, you know, let's put an echo on it. Okay, we got 140 different sources of echo. <laughs> yeah, we and, want. Uh, and each one has its own year. And, uh, <laughs> so it, it's uh, you can get lost in it quite a bit. Yeah, and I, that's, uh, like I said before, this is only uh, one of the dangers of uh, having all those choices. You start piling things on. Mm-hmm. And it's just too much. Well, I had a course. I'll add this thing, too. Oh, I had the uh, Harmonizer 101 course, too. And then pretty soon. And I say... As much as I've, I love the Helix, and I'll, I'll be using it probably from here on out, I do see people up on stage. And when I say this at my clinics, everybody laughs because they've experienced the same thing. You see a guitarist, he's up on stage, and you look at him, and he's stepping on the pedal and hitting this and hitting that, reaching down, tweaking, looking at his guitar, hits another foot switch. Do you hear any difference? No. Yeah, I don't hear a difference. Now, that's not to say, sorry, don't get mad. But not to say that there isn't a difference, but all the way out in the audience, 
a lot of the things aren't don't always translate sonically. Mm -hmm. And I just went to see um, uh, bands in uh, the Bridgestone Arena here. I went to see Korn, Ray Legere playing drums. Mind blowing! What uh, what a drummer! My God, is so he was so good. And Alison Chains played also. And everything sounded good, but from so far away, I, I couldn't really notice any tonal changes mm -hmm. as I saw guys doing things. I'm sure there were, but once you get uh, 100 feet away or 200 feet away or even 20 feet away, those things aren't as obvious. So uh, that's why generally for me, in the early days on the on the Eat Him and Smile tour, uh, Steve I had his Bob Bradshaw ring, mm -hmm. which was a whole bunch of switches plugged into all kinds of stuff, all analog. And if you lost power, the programming went away and you had to start over again. You're done. Almost every day, they'd lose power. Oh, no. And Steve's crew guy at the time was Elwood, who I think works with Billy Gibbons now. And a wonderful guy, Elwood. And I would see him where they're pulling his hair out. And me and my guy would be over my side on stage, a little drink with an umbrella. And, you know, how you guys doing over there? And I had one switch, which was the Pierce distortion on, distortion off. And that was all I had. And there wasn't a lot of changing. And so as much as I set up a couple things in my Helix, like a, a rotary speaker, which I love, the Leslie effect, mm -hmm. a couple of other little boosty things, octave up, octave down, octave down on the low, octave up on the high. Uh, I know a lot of times I go through show after show after show, and I don't get time to go back and hit the button and, and turn it on. So a lot of times it is just that simple. Mm -hmm. I got distortion. This too overwhelming, too much distortion. Please turn it off. Okay, now here's the clean tone. Okay, we go with that. So there's only really two variations I do. Now, if you want to do a thousand, God bless you, and I, I support you 100. percent But I think there is also that factor that and this could be a part of the hearing it with your eyes. Mm -hmm. You see the, the 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 light on that pedal, and you think, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. That's right. And you don't realize that it's off. You go, I'm glad that pedal. Oh wait, it's off. You know, and, oh, I better turn it on. So it's a it's a it's a funny thing. I, I said this the other day. Actually, I shouldn't just say the other day. I've said this a lot, and I need to also practice what I preach, but I'm trying to get people to get out of their comfort zone. And because, you know, some of us guitar players like, let's say, a Marshall JCM 800, or we like uh, a 5150, or we like, uh, you know, a diesel, whatever our favorite amplifiers are, we tend to go towards those. And there's a world of other amplifiers out there that, in a lot of cases, many of us will never have the opportunity to plug into a real one. Helix has, you know, some of the very, very best out there. I said, what I suggest to do, don't don't worry about adding all these you know comfort effects after the fact just click on an amp and cab block click on the very first one which would be a guitar player who what i think it is and just play a couple chords and if you really want to go extreme put a looper in front of it play a little progression and then hit play and then just go through and change that amp and cab block to the next amp to the next amp to the next amp if you want to be, you know, old school, grab a piece of paper and say, oh, that sounds nice and write down the name of that amplifier, because there's so many things in there that we will probably never, ever touch upon because we listen with our eyes. We, we prejudge what this amplifier is going to sound like. And why not hear everything that's in there? Maybe if you only like 5%, 10% of what's in there, there's amps that you would. And that applies to bass players, too. What, you know, keyboard players and, you know, cello players, and everything like that. There's things that we might not gravitate towards because we're we're afraid. Yeah, um, yeah, doing the looper things uh, is probably a good idea. Um, it removes you from the equation, though, because as you're playing, that 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 your attack, uh, your attack, that circle that happens, yeah, where your hands respond to what your ears hear. To me, that's a huge factor with me 
in a way, sometimes I'm crippled by it because if I don't hear it right, I can't play it. True, true. <laughs> you know, it's a real, you know, it, it's it's a, it becomes a problem if, if there's a if there's you know a situation live where I can't quite hear it right. I I don't have a good night. You know, that's, true. that's kind of the nature of the beast. But uh, but you're right. I, and again, you get back to just you set up an app in a cabinet and go. Yep. And play. You know, and do your thing. And eventually it'll come to you. And your hands adjust too. That's right. Like. Uh, you know, my hands, uh, if I've been off the road for a while, I think, oh, they're in shape. I, I got it. This is going to be great. The first couple of shows, I can't wait. I get up the first show and I, my God, I feel like my hands are two fists oh. and I'm just trying to get a single note. Uh, please, Lord, help me. You know, And it's, uh, you know, you get, you get fooled in that respect. And then they start to come around and it happens. So, like I said earlier, you start changing tones uh, when your hands aren't in shape. You could, it could fall fall apart on you later right i think i have a question coming up in a second that's being funneled to me as well too about your hands but i agree with that too about the human uh, aspect of the, the not using the looper because I, here i'm using myself as a guitar player or guitar players in general we might do some nice pinch harmonics on a jcm 800 but we're certainly not going to try that on a fender twin so i i get what you're saying there for sure yeah uh, so we have a question from Billy Johnny Pockets, if I have the name right. It says, hello from BFLO. Question, what what was the first amp that you used when you first started out on bass? The first bass I had, even though I always refer to the Fender, I actually had a bass before that was a Hagstrom. It was a tiny little plastic thingy, plastic cover, vinyl back over wood, tiny little bass. Somebody, I found one years ago and bought it, just as to, to reminisce. And it was a Gretsch Pro Bass which is a 50-watt amp with a single 15. Yeah. And the guy who started me playing, I told him, Joe, I got a bass, I got a bass. And I was just a little kid. He came over to see it, and he saw my amp, and he goes, I can put that on my keychain. <laughs> so small. <laughs> so eventually when I got my first real bass, the P bass, the amp that I got was a Fender Super Bassman. Nice. It was a 100-watt bassman uh, with two 15-inch JBLs. And that was great. Then I got another cabinet, so I had four JBLs. And it was good, but I fried it a few times. And then the SVT came out. Nice. And a friend of mine, Joe Hesse, the guy who started me playing, he had one. He told me about it. And then a friend of mine had one who had more money than I did. He happened to have one. So I tried it one night. SVT had it in one cabinet and blew the room apart. It was so, was so much louder. So it was just fantastic. So I traded in my gear on an SVT, got that, and used the SVT for a long time. Now, like I said earlier, SVT uh, has a couple liabilities. The tubes shake. Mm -hmm. You got to get it biased often, which costs money. I, I didn't know how to do it myself. And because of the nature of the circuitry, uh, frequencies higher than 20,000 cycles and probably lower than 20 get through to the speaker and they blow easily. Oh. So all, uh, we'd, I'd have to test, uh, stick a battery terminals onto a cord plug into the speaker cabin to spe see which speakers are moving. Yeah, which ones are And they'd see some that weren't. Yeah. And, and often at the end of a, a two weeks of plan, I'd be down to five speakers. Oh, boy. I had to get those reconed and then the and get more reconed. So it was becoming quite expensive to, to keep the SVT going at the time when I didn't have much money at all. So, and I didn't even drive because I didn't even buy a car until I was about 25 because I invested all my money in gear. Sure. So they had to come pick me up to, to take me to gig. So <laughs> I, maybe that was a testament that they needed me, I hope. But, but anyway, uh, so then I started to get into how can I get that tone without having to blow speakers constantly and re-bias tubes? And I ended up having three SVT heads with me. 
uh, two uh, that I use, high and low, and then a spare. And I had, a, I don't know, even know how many cabinets I had, six or eight. We had the whole stage covered with cabinets. Didn't always have them all plugged in. Yeah, of course. This was the early 70s. And then eventually I moved off and started to get, I replaced the low and amp first with Altec Lansing uh, cabinets, Gauss speakers. They were kind of like JBL, but they had a couple of improvements. They're out of business now. They were pretty good 15s. And then I used the SVT for all the tone on the top end. And eventually I replaced that. But I started out, the, the big main first amp for me was the Super Basement. And then uh, after that, it was uh, the SVT. It's nice to see, you know, that whole thing come full circle now with Line 6 and Yamaha Guitar Group now kind of acquiring Ampeg. You know, yeah. that's really, really nice. Uh, obviously, you were at Winter NAM last, uh, last January. Did you get a chance to witness uh, Derek Smalls play the Giant Beast? I'd seen it earlier when uh, <laughs> Ampeg was uh, still with St. Louis Music. Yeah. Years ago, they had it out there. They, they brought it back again. There's a new a new generation of people that I didn't see it last time. But yeah, it's pretty pretty hilarious. Yeah. Amazing. Well, the Ampeg stuff now, I use Harkey and I'm happy with it. I'm not going anywhere. I, yeah. I love Larry Harkey. He's been wonderful. And Samson Harkey have been taking very good care of me. And I appreciate that. And I, I don't jump from company to company. No, I like good. to stay loyal to what I believe in. A lot of people that I know have gone out and bought that hard camp because I have it. So I'm going to continue to support it. Sure. Somewhere with my base and uh, all, all the things that I do endorse. And I only endorse things that I really believe in. And nobody pays me anything to endorse. So that's a full disclosure. I make a royalty on my base because it's my design. Mm -hmm. But trust me, no way I'm going to get rich off that. It's, 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 not, it's not much money at all. But it's nice, it's nice to be able to buy a couple of bottles of wine at the end of the year with my Yamaha royalty. And very but anyway, on... Um, the uh, Yamaha version now of the Ampeg stuff is quite awesome. Uh, the Yamaha quality control is fantastic, so I give them great credit. And I'm very happy to see them revive an iconic brand like that and put their stamp of uh, excellence on re reproducing it. So I think, uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a, a good run for them. And the new Helix 4 Pro, uh, that the Ampeg 4 Pro is the last amp amp that i used in the 90s and i love that amp a lot it was so sad to see it go down so i haven't experimented with with it yet but i hear that the 4 pro is quite awesome inside the uh helix good to hear well i'll have to share a link with you down the road whether you're probably going to be touring but i'll send you a link after the fact but i've got Derek smalls himself coming on the show uh in august so spinal taps can be doing their big media blitz for their tour so it'll be and right. it's, it's going to be challenging for me as well too because i've only done one other interview in a character right i interviewed <laughs> uh, mrs smith and i had the whole interview in the can interviewing the the person who plays mrs smith and then i was and then i was kind of presented no you're not interviewing the person you're interviewing the character so now i'm not interviewing harry shearer I'm interviewing Derek Smalls. So that's going to be crazy. And I always get, oh, great. I always, you know, nine times out of 10, I get comments on my YouTube videos. They won't say, oh, the, the show was good, Eric, or this or that. It's like, hey, you look like Derek Smalls. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take, the, <laughs> I'll take the reference. But he's finally coming on. But there's more questions that are being funneled to me as well here as well, too. Glenn Helton, uh, and this is a good question. Uh, I mean, they're all good questions, but you just talked about your hands. And this is something as musicians we all fear is getting some injuries to our hands. Uh, Glenn Helton, as Billy, Billy mentions, he plays hard. Have you ever injured your hands in any way from playing hard? Do you ever find yourself adjusting your compressor to compensate for any injuries? Yeah, well, uh, for a long time, I had a lot of wristbands on. You'll see photos of me where I got wristbands from here, halfway up my arm, just to keep that wrist from moving because it was an excruciating pain. I could play... 
but it hurt. And I ignored the pain. I just kept on going. Went to doctors, went to the thing. They wanted people, you know, a lot of guys want to cut. And so once you cut, you can't go back. That's the problem. So you try to fix it every way possible beforehand. I found a chiropractor in L.A. Uh, if you're in L.A. and you need a guy, his name is Arlo Gordon, G-O-R-D-I-N. Just look him up on Google. And he is a really a miracle worker. He knows his craft. He learned it from the guy who founded the whole subject of chiropractic. And he would crack me and fix it all up and says, you know, I can keep cracking it and put it back in place, but unless you get your blood sugar down, carbohydrates, yeah. <laughs> it's just going to fall out again. Yeah. And I get, apparently from his point of view, uh, when you have high blood sugar, your joints go out. So I, I went low, slow, or no carb. And as you get older, things usually get worse. I'm totally cured. It's gone. Good. Completely gone. So now I've had... Uh, at least a dozen people come to me with drummers and bass players and guitarists. And uh, one guy got in touch with me through DiMarzio because he heard about that. And he was about to sell a whole bunch of gear and travel out to California and track this chiropractor down and try to get fixed. And I said, well, before you do that, I go, what's your diet like? And he goes, well, I have rice, rice cakes and pasta. And I go, well, what? just, you know, try a low-carb. Go look up online. What's a low-carb diet? Find out what you Try it. He called me in a couple of days. As if an angel of the Lord had appeared before he was freaked out. I can't believe it. I didn't be able to pick up even pick up the guitar for weeks and now he's playing again. So Good. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. This ain't medical advice. But for me, going low carb fixed everything. Uh, but I, I, I do I'm very careful with my hands. That's why I used to skateboard a lot. I don't skateboard at all. I haven't since the eighties. Mm -hmm. You know, I have one. I look at it when I walk past it, but I just don't <laughs> want to fall. That's why I don't ski. No. You know, fall landing on your wrists or anything like that would be a, a catastrophe. So I baby it as much as possible, uh, and I'm very careful with it. I do own a couple chainsaws. I'm very careful with them. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> so I make sure. And then I, I was cutting wood with a, with a um, circular saw, and the setup I did prior to actually hitting the switch would drive some people nuts. I made sure where's the cord, put the thing, clamp the everything in place. Got my guide board clamped down. Make sure stepped away, came back, looked at it all again. Made sure double, you know. And then when I finally was ready to hit the thing, it was you know it took uh, eleven seconds. In your time, but I just wanted to be so careful with stuff like that. So with knives too, when I'm cooking, I've got some. Uh, knife proof gloves nice in case you know in case of that so i'm, I'm careful with that but uh, yeah i tried to be reasonably careful without being a maniac about it uh, uh but uh, it is nice to, i think what you can fix a lot of stuff with diet and with proper stretching and things like that and if it's sometimes i'll take a hot water bottle with me on the road and especially if it's winter time hold on to it, warm my hands up a little bit with that nice also bring it back up to speed I don't think you're being overcautious whatsoever on the song thing because I had a, a friend in the local music scene. He was a bass player, just happened to be a bass player and was a kind of a construction guy on the side, but was very careful of his hands. But he had a freak accident where he, I think he was cutting tile floor or something and something must have been end of the day. I don't know what the case was because he wasn't a careless person whatsoever, but he reached in front of the blade and lost a couple fingers as a bass player. I think he lost two. You know, and well, you know that I just as a musician, you just feel for that person, and it was not stupidity. Yeah. It was just it happened. You don't get a second chance. 
No, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, be as cautious as, as reasonable caution, of course, goes a long way. Yeah. But um, I, I avoid things that are more likely to cause damage than not. So uh, I say, like I said, I don't ski and I don't uh, skateboard anymore. That's, and that's I, you safe. Know. You, you, don't, you yeah. don't have to prove anything to anybody. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and diet, I agree with you on the diet as well, too, because diet here for my better half, Sandra, she was diagnosed with uh, uh, diabetes and uh, diabetic neuropathy. And, you know, all these doctors want to push these uh, medications on you. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of big pharma. I'm, I certainly don't mean any disrespect to anybody who works for the pharmaceutical industry, but I'm not a fan of it. And by her changing her diet, by doing a ton of research, she cured herself and is off of diabetes medication. So fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. I believe Drew Carey did also. He, oh, wow. With diet, he managed to completely manage it and it's, it's gone because if it's caused by eating the wrong thing, stop yeah. eating the wrong thing. And it's just basic uh, understanding. But that's not necessarily science. No, no. Per se. There's no double blind testing and peer reviewed whatever. But the anecdotal evidence is sugar is not good for you. Too much white flour and pasta is not going to help you. You know, stick with uh, good good protein, good fat, and good vegetables. It's it's a, it, it's hard to go wrong with that. That's right. We'll look back look back in the you know the history books. You know the 1800s. You know you got, whether you're dying of uh, gangrene or you have your child has a toothache or you have uh, an eye injury. The doctor says take two shots of whiskey. Call me in the morning, and that's what everybody had. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little different back then. <laughs> Not a bad prescription in general. That's man. right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm so far behind in the chat. I want to apologize to everybody, but we all, I'm also notified that John Willis is in the chat, and he says uh, so, hi, Billy, and we are bringing back the Fletcher Munson Munson curve. Uh, right. another question uh, Glenn Helton says Billy do you have any suggestions for finger stretches so you talked about you kind of kind of alluded to that some water bottle things and stuff like that do you ever do just kind of any Yeah, I probably don't crack knuckles I'm assuming that's probably a bad thing I don't know uh, I, I, I saw a recent study where they had a guy a doctor cracked the knuckles on his left hand and never did it on his right and never no difference at all so, okay you know it's just a, it's a funny time for science because there's so much information out there Sometimes it can look scientific, but real science really, as everybody knows, I'm not telling anything anything they don't know. Real science takes takes work, and you got to check this against that, against that, against that, and do it again, and do, try it again, and another time, and another part of the world, and other di different situations. So, all, all that is the case. And uh, a, a quick hello to John Willis. Uh, I'll be in touch with him later because I'm trying out his new. Uh, we we did some uh, an alteration on the pre on the preset. Nice. That's why I told you earlier on, uh, he has the inputs and outputs set up a little differently. Okay. So in order, I have to go in and tweak that. I'll talk with him about that. And I want to give him a template where it is exactly my input and output. So if he builds anything on that, Uses it'll be yours. something I can just pop in and quickly check without making a lot of alterations. But that's a, that's another thing. But as far as stretching, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I try to, um, I, I think a lot of people, uh, do what I referred to, I think, in an old video a long time ago, as it, it's, I refer to it as a flinch. In other words, you're practicing your instrument. There's even notes and anything, and it gets that you're having trouble with it. So you're like, well, you know, my amp is a, but you know, this pedal, and you know, maybe my fingers weren't warmed up enough. And there's all these things you can jump to that aren't playing your instrument to sit down and play it and I, I i think and even you know bass players get all bent out of shape with a five string but oh six string no four string i don't care whatever you play is totally cool 
I prefer the four. There's a lot of reasons why, a lot of logic behind it. But if you play five or six, fantastic. But we shouldn't be like this about it. That's no, right. I, I hate to see fights break out in music communities over it. No, it should be five. No, four string. You suck. I hate you. Nazi. You know, and the next thing you know, it, it always degrades down when somebody calls another person a Nazi. And I hate to see that. Whatever it is you do, that's okay. But I do think sometimes go to a, people go to a different instrument because they're not putting the time in and working on it and making it happen. And they're a little frustrated. Their playing isn't going where it should be. Well, I, I need a fire string. And then, they're, oh, yeah, that's but Oh, no, I better get six. No, I'll go back to four. And then pretty soon you're kind of, you've lost time that you could have spent on your original instrument. Exactly. And gotten over that home. And I, I do think it all comes down to, I saw an interesting comparison between motivation or self-discipline. Motivation is a good thing, but it's not self-discipline. And something, sometimes the motivation can go away. Self-discipline, if you really got it, that's not going to go away because it's generated by yourself. And you really have the self-discipline to sit down and work that out and work it, work it, work it. It ain't work. It doesn't sound right. Let me get a different brace. No, 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 no. No, stay there. Stay right there. That's right. Stick with it. Let's work. Let's get to work. Let's hit it harder. Uh, let's give it a couple of days. Let's give it a week. You know, eventually you hit the wall by doing the same thing time and time again. Okay, go to plan B. But I do believe it's sometimes the finger stretching thing, like if people for a while got into the little yep. Chinese uh, circular balls that you roll in your hand and stretchers and, you know, stretching uh, the mu muscles that open your hand and the ones that close your hand. And, oh, well, but I know, but play. play exactly. You know, I think, uh, and I don't want to, if you are have a routine where you're stretching your fingers and that's working for you, that's great. Fantastic. Keep doing that. You know, if, if that's what's working for you. Um, again, I, I hate to see people at each other's throats because they they do things a little differently. Viva la difference. I mean, I, I, I like to see, wow, there's a tone I'd never heard before. Yep. You'll see people, you know, get in line and, uh, and assassinate me because they don't like my my tone and they'll get into my personal life about it. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we should all sound the same. If you don't like my tone, that's cool. You know, then find a great tone that you love and post about it, you know. But I think... Uh, yeah, I, I, I will, you know, I try to warm up my hands a little bit and get them moving. And I notice when I first start to play, it's a little rough. Sluggish. But using the bass to warm up your hands, I think, grooves your hands into this bass machine. Yeah. And you re really become part of it. And it becomes part of you. And my hands kind of automatically are in bass. If I'm just standing around, they're kind of in bass position. Uh, I remember one of the first times I shook Ed Van Halen's hand. And it's, it's, it, he didn't have a pick in his hand, but it was like he did. Okay. Because he had it in his hand so much, and he lived <laughs> it. He, that was, you know, I shook hands. I thought he had it's something like in his hand. Yeah. It wasn't a pick. You know, and, and that's the beauty of somebody who, like Ed, who just it lives it and yeah. dives in the deep end and starts swimming. So, yeah, there's exercises you can do. And I do exercises as practice, too. Like, for example, if I'm plucking... Moving to the next string yeah. is the most difficult thing. Coming back, your hands automatically hit the next string underneath. So sometimes I go as an exercise to get that grab, but I'm doing it on the bass. So my hand's getting used to that that space in between the strings. And everything I do with my hands on the bass sets it up for more success in playing and more efficacy of, of, of the, the techniques you do. So uh, 
yeah, if you if you want to uh, warm your hands up, that's cool. But I do believe uh, hitting the bass harder and sticking with it longer uh, is is uh, in my humble opinion for me that's a better warm up. A little bit of emotion to get things going. But for me, for me, for someone else, it may not be. Yeah, and that's exactly. the important thing. Go ahead. Well, I, I think totally what you said about just sticking to the instrument and playing it is is the best warm up period. Like myself, I've retired from from performing out, but I play here at home a lot. And if I was to put a clock on the amount of time that I'm literally plugged in, as much as I love saying I, pl I play through Helix all the time, and I love it, I do. But it, if you add up all the hours, I'm playing unplugged because Junior will ask me to come see something or the wife will ask me to come and see something. And sometimes Junior drives him crazy because you're like, do you have to noodle while I'm showing you something? I'm like, but kind of, I do. You know, I just, it feels good to always be playing. So when I pick up the guitar and I'm plugged in, it's just like, okay, it didn't change from the second I was on the couch to in here. That's, I think, it's the best, the best way to be in shape. I believe so. Yeah. And I've always got basses and guitars around my house. You know, I pick up, and sometimes I pick up a different one. It's a different feel and a different thing. And it yep. forces, pushes me over here. Then another one pushes me back that way. And I got a fretless or an eight string. And, you know, it just tries to a variation and get back to your main one that you spend the most time on, whichever one that may be. And uh, maybe you'll get a little bit more of a vocabulary from picking up another instrument. Yeah. But anyway, it goes back to that flinch thing where I do believe that. And, and it's a thing where you really got to be hard on yourself to uh, to admit it. Yep. That I'm I'm running away. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm jumping to something else because I had not done what I was set out to do here. Exactly. I mean, I see uh, when I see guitarists uh, change uh, guitars in during a show. Yep. It's similar to stepping on a lot of pedals. I don't hear a huge difference. Maybe it, but if it feels better for them and they feel better playing the song, that's great. Do More it. power to but you. I, I generally I stick with one instrument. I get through a whole show without tuning. You know, if you stretch strings out and you really learn your instrument really well, mm -hmm. I can get through a whole night, a whole two-hour show without tuning. Uh, and where I see some guys before every single song, they're, they got their foot on the little tuner and they're tuning, looking, tuning. We're looking over, waiting, waiting before they start the song. Start the <laughs> song. Come on, come on. Ready? Okay, go. Next song, same thing. Come on, bro. And there's got to be a way to get that thing in tune and keep it in tune. That's right. So I think that it's, it's a, that's another aspect of it, just being so grooved in. And a lot of times when I put strings on, it's an odd thing. I'll just put a new set of strings on and just turn the key mm -hmm. without without even hearing what it is. Sure. Then when I play it, I happen to have tightened it up to it exactly the note. Isn't that something? Maybe a little sharper flat. Sure. But amazingly, I'll go, wow, it's already in tune. I'm so used to it, I almost know by the tension of the string that, that, that there's the E, it's in. Yeah, you connect with it. And yeah. I, it just, I think there's a lot of advantage to getting so grooved in on your instrument. That's right, in tune with it for sure. Here's another question which we kind of alluded to earlier. This is from Shogun. Uh, ask how Billy is liking uh, living in Nashville. So share us a little bit. Now that you've been there for a little bit, you're more than comfortable. Uh, and I'm loving the post that you're sharing with, uh, you know, the squirrels and the bees. But tell us uh, how you enjoy Nashville. <laughs> well, we... Uh, uh, so the question is what? Uh, how do you like living in Nashville now? Oh, it's it's great. Uh, I love L.A. Uh, I lived in Buffalo for 32 years and got the call and went out. Uh, Dave flew me out to L.A. to start a band, and we, we uh, started the Eat Him and Smile band together, and that was amazing. It was like, uh, you know, that changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was there for 32 years in L.A., and when I went out there in 85, it was paradise. It was just great. It was all rock bands all over the place, the Strip up and down Sunset Boulevard, jam with people every night. It was just great. What a great, great time 
What a what a time to be alive. It was amazing. And then there I was, in a way, on top of the world. I just joined Dave, who got out of the the, the biggest band there was in America at the time. And uh, it was amazing. So, But uh, as things changed in uh, 32 years of L.A., uh, now things sadly are kind of falling apart a little bit, in my humble opinion. I'm a little bit worried, but I still love L.A. I still care for it. I'm sad to see the changes happen there now mm-hmm. with the crime, crime and the traffic and the homeless. And uh, at my age now, I thought, you know what, let me let me go to a place that's a little bit more peaceful and calm. And when I'm on the on tour, some, some, sometimes I have to leave my wife home alone. So I want her to be safe. Mm-hmm. And she's very safe here. So that's a very important thing. But we love Nashville. I'll never stop loving LA. And of I love Southern California. What it did for me and to me is uh, priceless. But uh, it was time to time to move on. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm here to contribute to the community, not just take from it, too. No, of course. So do what I can for the, for the local uh, Nashvillians. Anything I can do to help them out, I'm always happy to. I think you said on one of my last shows, you're on, you kind of said Nash or not Nashville, but LA is, we know that was your home, is now kind of your home away from home, but Nashville is now home. Yeah. yeah. When I go back to LA, I feel right at home. Of course. Kind of like going back to Buffalo, but Buffalo has been a long, that's been a long time since <laughs> I've been back there. So nothing is there that I remember when I was a kid. Yeah. Or very few things. So sure. that's changed a lot. But LA is still Paquito Moss, the best Mexican food anywhere. I just I I'm longing for Paquito Moss. So when I we, my wife and I go back to the first thing we do is get in some rental car or a taxi or Uber and get right to Paquito Moss so we can hit that and we hit it almost every day we're there. So well, that's great. Sad about LA and, and many other things and many great people that I love dearly there. That's awesome. Well, since how you toyed on something, touched on something here, I, I promise some fans I would try and ask this as well too. And, and sometimes when I say I'm asking for the fans, I'm asking for myself too. Uh, friends, we just go back. Let's stop saying the word fans. But anyways, uh, so David Lee Roth, I, who knows what's going to be happening with Van Halen? And in my personal opinion, uh, as much as I want to see something come new from Van Halen, I I don't think we're going to see anything. And at the same time, I almost don't want anything new because Van Halen just can't win in the press these days, and the press will tear them apart. But regardless of that, you know, kudos to Van Halen if they're going to put something out, and I hope they do. But David Lee Roth, you know, there was near reunions a few times with the Edom and Smile. And I mean, I was watching uh, Going Crazy just before the show and I was showing Junior. I was like, look at watch Billy, right? And he's just, oh, my God, I forgot about that, you know, and all this other kind of cool stuff. Do you think we'll do you think there's a chance for a reunion with the boys? I honestly don't know. Uh, I know myself, Steve, Greg and Brett, we're we'd be happy to do it. And the last communication that I heard about from dave mm-hmm. wasn't directly to me it was that uh for the nam show he was in new york city at the time and he he i believe he expressed that he would have loved to come and join us to do it uh so that was very encouraging i love dave he's still my hero i love all the guys in van halen and uh you know it's a it's sad to see i'd love to see i'm glad ed's son is in there because that's his son mm-hmm. but michael's the bass player of course and i'd love to see the original lineup there's no substitution for that you know, I'd love to see that. Uh, so I, don't, I, I, who knows what could happen? I wish all those guys the best. And uh, and if Dave ever wants to do it, I think we're we're all ready to do so uh, if if he wants. But it's up to him. Right. It was his band and his thing. We can't. We could we could do it without him with another singer. But I wouldn't be the same. 
it's got to be Dave. <laughs> do, you, do you think there'd be some? Would you? Uh, and here again too. I mean, this is no disrespect to Dave because I love Dave. I'm I'm Dave all the way through. That's I'm the Dave era guy. But you know, uh, as we get older, some of us and, and some the singers wise, we would lose our vocals and, and range and things like that. Would you guys have to tune maybe a little bit better to accommodate Dave? Do you think? Would that be anything would have to be worked into the equation? Tune a little bit lower, or do you think he could still hit some of that stuff? I don't know. I can't. I think during the tour, initially we were doing some songs standard tuning and a couple lower tuning. Okay. But that turned into a nightmare. Even in rehearsals, we're switching guitars and back and forth. Well, hold on a second. Let's do it all one tuning. Okay. I think we ended up doing the Van Halen tuning, which yeah. is a little bit. I think it's a half a step yes. down. It wasn't always a specific amount because sometimes they had landed and there's no keyboard around to check it with. So he landed in the middle somewhere. So that was that was cool. We did that at Mr. Big too in the last since two thousand nine we got back together. We dropped everything down a little bit. It's tough, vocalists, you know, have a yep. rough time. I gotta say that when the winery dogs, Richie Cotson, we're tuned to pitch and we did like four or five nights in a row and he annihilated. So he's you know, amazing. You, you take care of yourself, it can be done, but you know. Seems like you mentioned Winery Dogs. Uh, congratulations, uh, less than a week ago, six-year anniversary. Yeah, pretty great. I'm lucky to play with a lot of great bands, I, but I, I have a special love for the Winery Dogs. I grew up in a three-piece band, it's kind of, so it's kind of like home to me in, in some ways. Playing with Mike Portnoy is always a joy. Richie is uh, like a brother to me. He's just great, wonderful guy, too, and what a supreme talent. I often said, you know, when the band first started, well, the band makes it or not, or what, whatever we do, my goal is to make sure the world knows that Richie Cousins is a superstar. And I, I, do, I think believe people are starting to get hip to that, and they and I believe they agree with me in a lot of respects, so I'm glad about that. But uh, Sons of Apollo, another great band. We, we're, I'm just finishing up the bass on the... Uh, I just finished the bass on the last song. It was a really, really... I, I When I see Ron uh, Bumblefoot, I'm going to... I don't know if I want to throw a punch at him, because, man, he, he did some stuff that is so tough to do. I ended up having to get a uh, a capo and capo the bass at the B string, <laughs> where I would have open notes and play this this riff that was impossible. And uh, we got it eventually, but man, it was that was tough. But can you can you show us a little tiny bit of it? Was that? Can you show us a little tiny bit of it? I I can't even remember how I did. Okay, no problem. But it's it okay. Some, something like a, and it kept switching too. So uh, the timing of it was a little. It was a. What's that? I don't remember how it was. Sorry, that's okay. No, no, it's all good. I don't pretend the spot. But uh, but it was a, it was this really wild open string. Oh man! When I first heard it, I thought, I hope they don't want me to double that. And sure enough, oh man! So I uh, and where there's a well, there's a way. I. Not to be self-aggrandizing, but I've, I've been up against some impossible tasks, but eventually, keep hitting it, don't run away, don't flinch, and I, in the end, I got it. And, uh, you know, it took, took a couple punches to get it right. Of course. Now, when it's, when it's time to do it live, you know, you drill it and drill it and drill it and drill it, and eventually you get it. There's a couple things in the first Sons of Apollo record on uh, the main uh, giant instrumental piece that were Mike, I would get right up to the drum riser with Mike, and we'd watch each other just to get through the timing twist sure. turn that it would do every other time. 
I, you know, a change comes up and it keeps coming up, but it, it comes up and the next time it's different and the next time it's different again. Then it goes back <laughs> to the first way and then it does the second way. But not the third time it comes up, it, you know, I just try to remember all those little details. But we, we look at each other and at the end of it, we, we do a little fist bump that we got through it again because it was tough. Oh, but it's, it's cool to have uh, parts like that that really challenge you. They really make it make it tough to 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 do. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of relax and boogie through the night and play yep. your straight uh, one, four, five chords, and then that's cool. That's a lot of fun. But now, when you get those uh, once in a while, you get a a little a zinger in there that you really have to be on your toes to pull it off. Surrounding yourself with good people always prevails, and and a feather in uh, in Ron's cap as well too. It's so cool to see him uh, step into the shoes in Asia. I mean, doing extreme oh, justice. Man. Isn't that something? So I awesome. mean, we all grew up on that. You grew up on Asia. I grew up on Asia. I mean, just I mean, he's doing justice. He is great. He is a supreme talent. Another one. He's a superstar. Yeah. Great. And he sings. Cool. He plays. Amazing. And, and it's cool to see the the uh, contagiousness of Helix. So three of you in the band, right? both you, Ron, and Derek, I, I shouldn't say both, all three of you in, in Sons of Apollo are using Helix now. Is that still correct? Uh, Derek dropped off the uh, off the uh, list. Did he? I Again, I and uh, w- with all due respects to Derek, and I, I, I love his playing. He's a, he, he knows a lot about his gear. Uh, he's a grandmaster at everything he's involved in, of course. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I think it's... There's a lot of trepidation with people that especially come from the analog world, and to jump into the digital, the deep end of the digital, it's it's a tough thing. I think he, uh, I think if he would have spent more time with it, he would end up there. Right. But so, sometimes it t- it's time intensive to really get it fine tuned into what you're feeling off analog gear, live and loud, and be able to get it out of that. Yeah. It, it, sometimes it, it it takes when you do get it, man, you're in heaven. Yep. But sometimes it, it's some, some work to get there. That, that makes total sense. Here's another good question as well, too. Uh, this is from Stuart Milney, if I'm pronouncing the name right. And here again, sometimes questions will come in. We're talking about future products, and I know we can never talk about products that are coming down the line. Uh, you know, manufacturers, obviously, they're under, you know, agreements not to release things before NAM and press releases and things like that. But it's in general, you can probably generalize on this question. Stuart says, could you ask Billy about Yamaha making a cheaper or more affordable version of the Attitude Base? And I'm sure that's something, you know, all all people that have signature instruments would love to see get out to the, you know, the people who, you know, have a more limited budget. Is there anything you can touch base on that at all? Well, we did a cheap version of it initially, and okay. it was wildly successful. Okay. They're all sold out. Oh, gotcha. And a good buddy of mine, Jamie, he's a great bass player here in town. Uh, uh, he, he brought me as a gift. He brought me over because I didn't have any of the cheap ones. As a gift, he brought me over one of the cheap ones, and the thing plays great. So, uh, uh, and the, it's a daunting price tag on this thing. Unfortunately, they're handmade in Japan. Okay. I can hand assemble. They're, they're cut out by computer. And uh, labor costs in Japan, as you can imagine, are. But the guys that do it are grandmaster luthiers too. They only do about two hundred a year, so their the base is expensive. Sorry, but that's that's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I be, I do believe it's worth it. It's a base of a lifetime. Uh, but I would like to see Yamaha do a cheapo version of it, but still good quality. Like I said, the, the cheap ones that I've tried, they had a couple really wild configuration. They had one with a Big giant pickup here and a five-way switch. I don't even have one, but I always, okay. I always wanted one because it was so cool looking. But the one that my buddy Jamie gave me, I think, plays great and you know, it sounds fantastic. So, I, I am pressuring them all the time. Yamaha's a giant company. They are. To get them to do anything at all takes just months. That's why sometimes they're, they're way behind the curve. I think they were smart to buy 
line six and get Ampeg and kind of leave them autonomous mm -hmm. so they can do their thing. Nice. Where if everything in the Helix had to go through the Yamaha system, it was still probably wouldn't be here, unfortunately, because there, there's so there's so much to that procedure of getting a product to market through Yamaha because they're just monstrously major huge. corporation. So I'm doing what I can yep. to oh, get, a, get a cheap attitude out there. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I would really like to see it. And so uh, I, every meeting I have, we, there's a couple of things I keep hitting them over the head with. There's a, there's a version of the attitude. The sun is sunburst. That's very much like my old P base. That that we did get approved. That's coming. That's going to be cool. Nice. And so the, now I can stop hitting them over the head with that and concentrate on the cheap attitude. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be I'll be pounding them as much as possible. Well, good question for sure. And here's another question from Lewis asking, "What made you decide to try a partial scallop fretboard?" And I've I've I, other than having one of Steve Vai's gems back in the day with a few uh, frets that were scalloped, I've never really played scallop frets. Uh, how does that assist you? And maybe what gave you that inspiration? Well, in the early days, I had a, a friend of mine back in Buffalo uh, who was a real John McLaughlin uh, fanatic. His name was uh, Chris Force. He's a, he, he has his PhD in analytical philosophy. Okay. Wow. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he had uh, um, a Les Paul, the ebony board that was scalloped all the way. And oh, there was only a little bridge of wood to hold the, uh, the fret on. Sure. Brilliant. Genius job. Actually, I think Mark Miller, I might be mistaken about that. The Talus drummer might have done it for him, but I might be mistaken for that. He's a quite a brilliant woodworker. And so I knew about it for a long time. But then when we did the uh, Talus, did the uh, Talus Ingve tour, nine, summer of 1985. Uh, I saw Ingve's uh, Scallop Strat, and I just thought I had my Dremel Moto tool with me because I always carried my tools with me. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we go to a hotel and Rock bands had a horrible reputation of breaking stuff. So I would end up going to a hotel and fix things. <laughs> fix what they broke. But, so the maid would come in and she'd go, hey, that light wasn't working before. What's going on? You know, so just to try to make up for all the damage done, I would fix things in the hotel. So I had my Dremel Moto tool and I laid the base out without the strings and I went across. I didn't need to go here because you can't push that string down to the wood no matter what. And here you can't really either. But I just wanted to try it out. And it helps a little bit if you're going to do like a real high bend to get, you know, to get that high G note. Okay. Uh, so it, it helps you to, a little bit to get underneath it and kind of push from under it. Because when I bend, I usually have at least three fingers doing the job to, to bend a bass string. On guitar, it's easier. Sure. Because they, they use the thin little string, so it's a, it's a lot easier to do that. Uh, so, but it's not really a necessity. Okay. I did it for years without that. But when Yamaha did this basically grandfathered in all the changes I did on my P-Base to here. And a lot of people focus right in. Ooh, what about the uh, Scala Press? What about the Scala Press? So they're there. Anybody can do it. It's easy. Also, the last five frets on these bases is smaller fret wire. Oh, a little nice. more accurate inclination up high. And because uh, there's less of a surface for that string to land on, it's a little tighter. So it's more likely to land in the middle and be a little bit inclination a little bit better. So it's not necessarily a huge essential thing it helps me also when i'm playing i can kind of feel it so i kind of know where i am sure if i'm not looking and uh helps to get get some of those high bends. beautiful get, you got a little bit of that going on uh if you need that which yeah. you may want once or twice in your career if <laughs> ever <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, so, uh, but losing, like scalloping the entire neck, you'd lose too much yeah. uh, wood. And I think you would, uh, you wouldn't have the kind of sustain you, you'd like to have. Gotcha. Oh, well said. And one of my good friends uh, here in Canada, Brian Cote, he met you at NAM. actually. He, he went down to summer NAM. It was his first NAM. He's a bass player switching over to guitar a little bit right now. He runs a nice YouTube show as well, too. He has a great question for you. And actually, he had great uh, kind words to say about you meeting you. You were very you know approachable, which was awesome. He says, ask Billy, um, does Billy have any advice for artists releasing new music today? It's a very different environment today regarding uh, or with record companies not really signing folks like they were back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so any advice you could lend to a new aspiring artist to release music out there? Well, the rule of thumb at this point is don't. there's no record labels. Right. Forget about it. Yep. Forget about a record deal. I mean, the good news is now you control everything. Mm -hmm. And when you do get music out, you own it. And I remember uh, in a meeting with Atlantic Records back in the day when Mr. Like the early 90s, right after we had our hit record, we sat down with the president of uh, Atlantic Records Name, his name is Doug Morris. Okay. He was talking business about us, and he, he seemed to be really happy. He goes, you know, I, I ship a million records to Europe, and I build back seven million. And I thought, we looked at each other like, what? You, um, you, you just made seven million dollars off, off our... And we're, and we're looking at the checks we're getting on our royalties, and like, oh, the hell in the world? We've never made <laughs> near that money. So these guys are rolling in cash, yeah. and we're getting a little tiny piece of it. Yeah, I was very small. Nobody made a million bucks off that. I mean, cumulatively, yeah, we we made sure, a lot sure. eventually. But but man, imagine the kind of money they were making—unbelievable! And now, so that's if that's you and your band, that money's going in your pocket. Yeah. Now, bad news is you got to do it all yourself. So the record company had their own publicity and marketing and radio. And there's no more radio either. Radio is not going to play. That's right. You know, there's, yeah. streaming the best thing anybody can do right now. And I think everyone will agree with me. You get a band. You have, you, I think it's important to have a band. And you got to be out playing. Mm -hmm. Get in a band. Start locally. Nobody will hire you. Go to a club that doesn't have a band and work out Tuesday nights. You bring in a little stage in and set up and play. You got to create your own gigs. We did that back in, in Talos back in the old days. Uh, there was a beach near Buffalo, Shirkston Beach. And it was this huge beach and people would flock there. It was in, on the Canadian side, so people go over the border. And so we thought one day, well, there's got this area up here. Why don't we just put a stage in, have somebody build a stage, and then we'll charge people another dollar to come down to this section of the beach. So sure enough, they did a pro stage built right with correct power. Our lighting crew guys told them what they needed to to make it proper, to plug in a proper giant PA and lights. And they did it. And we played the first show there. And we walked out of there. With, at the time, was a fortune. We made all kinds of, this is great. It worked. And then they started bringing in national acts to play on the other weekend. So it turned into a venue where there was none before. So it's possible. Even a little coffee shop, do an acoustic thing with like yeah. an acoustic guitar. You find a shop that'll do like an open mic night. And you be the instigator of it. Start it. Get going. Or even host other bands. You do your band as a setup and then bring other people up to play with you. There's a million ways to skin a cat. Yep. You gotta get out there and you gotta play live. I was uh I produced a young lady who goes by the name of Madame Mayhem. Great pipes, just a great singer and great stage presence. Uh, I used uh, Ray Lugier from Corn on Drums, it was of course amazing. Uh Bumblefoot did a couple solos. I played bass on it. Uh 
Corey Lowry, great, great writer and bass player. He wrote a couple of the best songs on the record. Uh, I forgot the guitar players. Uh, Russ Parrish. Okay, from, yeah. Uh, from from uh, Steel, Steel Panther. Panther. He played great, amazing solos on it, too. And she put the record out, did it herself. You know, she got a little deal for it, but not, not much. And she got in a van with her band, and she toured and toured and toured and toured. Now she's out there. She's opening up for major bands. It's possible. It is. It can happen. Don't she wait for someone to do it. Just create it yourself. And I'll share a tip with you as well, too, a band you should check out. Uh, one of my good friends in the Line 6 Helios community, we were actually beta testers for one of their products, uh, Steve Sterlachi. I love him to death. Um, he's uh, He plays with his wife's band, Jessica Lynn. And as far as I know to this point, they're unsigned, no label representation whatsoever. They, they're touring the world multiple times. When I say touring the world, the world, all independent. Yep. And because everyone in the band, you know, wears multiple hats, they don't have to hire, you know, this and that and then marketing and this and they can all do it themselves. She's had several like nationally syndicated like Christmas programs, like Christmas specials and stuff like that and unsigned. So just yeah. use that as an example. Don't think that, you know, you have to have that label. You're If you, if you can do it and you're self-sufficient and your team can wear multiple hats, you can do it and, and make a, a, a living well, off Buffalo, of it. Buffalo, uh, Annie DeFranco. Yeah, she was. I think I believe I get my information right. She did. She did it without anybody. She created her own brand and her own label and her own thing and went out there and she was hugely successful. So that's the good news. It's all in your hands now. And even if you're some little town, a local thing, and there's no place to play, we'll get a. If you can find a big enough rehearsal hall and invite your friends on Saturday night. And then have it every Saturday night, have a little thing, BYOB, bring your own booze and come and play and uh, do your set for them. And then find out what songs do you want us to learn for next week. Okay, we'll do it. You know, it is all, there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat. I always, not to demean it, but I always, make, it's just like selling hamburgers. Sure. You, got, you, got to, you need a great hamburger. You need to let people know. When they come to buy your burger, you got to service them and take care of them. And it'll pretty soon... And that's how McDonald's started. <laughs> exactly. In one little spot, and next thing you know, they're all over the, they're polluting the whole planet. So that's true. <laughs> but uh, but I think it's it's within everyone's capability of making it happen. You know, it ain't easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But get a band, get a solid band, get it together, get that core of your band loyal to each other, get in a van and get out there and start hitting it. And you, it will happen. Or it won't. Yep. But at least you'll know one way or the other. That's right. At the same and, time, uh, the worst that can happen is you're playing your music and a couple of new people are going to hear it at the bare minimum. Maybe a lot of people, but you're having fun. You're you're using the gift that God gave you and, uh, and nothing better than that. Yeah. And it can lead to a lot of things, too. A lot of guys get out. A lot of guys that are the top producers or front of house mixers, they were in a band and they didn't quite work for them. So they started running to the front of house and now they're, you know, making... That's Seven right. figures running front of house for huge bands that tour all over the world. Now, there's all kinds of opportunity out there. I think more than ever, actually. Exactly. And that's how kind of where I gravitated to when I retired in 2012. I mean, I'm still relatively young. I'll be 51 this year, but I retired from the scene just because it was becoming more with this particular act I was working with for 12 years. It became more work than fun. And, and I do miss it in some ways, but... I found YouTube and I get to talk to people like my idols uh, growing up, you know, like yourself and many others I've had on the show. And I get to stay connected to the music scene. And if I tend to do live shows where I'm just jamming, which I do, you know, once or twice a month, I get more people watching those shows and come to the live shows anyway. So I can't see it being a loss for me. You know what I mean? I'm still connected. Yeah, you're 
you're so involved. You're so in the chain. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's cool. Exactly. And, and, you know, when I do my clinics and seminars, I, I try to encourage people to do better and become successful and do whatever I can to help them do that. But sometimes successful success can mean many things. I mean, you may end up owning a music store somewhere and and all the kids in that town are are musicians because of you. And, uh, you know, it's it's a there's a lot of opportunity. I agree with you. I've got a request if you could do this. We have someone named Zoe that just graduated university last week and would like to see if we could get a congratulations for Zoe. Absolutely. Uh, I did online, and I'll congratulate her on this show, too. Good good work, Zoe. Way to I'll, go. I'll see you next time I'm to the UK. A fantastic. Way to go. And it, we can never, ever underestimate the importance of education, because I'm sure, as you would say, too, like, look, at here's a perfect example. Look at John Levin, the guitarist in Dawkins. Uh, you know, you look at him as a guitar player. He's also a, a well-fledged lawyer, uh, maybe the band's lawyer. I have no idea, but education is paramount. So you got something to fall back on. Yeah, I uh, I went a route where I, I had nothing really to fall back on other than my wits. I quit high school in my senior year uh, because I it was I couldn't get a, I don't get along well with school, but I do a lot of self-educating. I'm a uh, voracious reader. A lot of scientific and uh, nonfiction that I that I, I am involved in. Uh, uh, so uh, education in any form is is uh, of supreme importance. And uh, again, I, I happen to be a self-disciplined, self-motivating kind of a person. So I, I, I took it upon myself to learn everything I could about the subject that I was interested in. But I didn't end up doing a formal education, but I still do believe it depends on the person what 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 fits best for you. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, that's that's good as All well right. too. And and I also as well too. I quit I quit uh, high school. I think when I was grade ten, thinking I was going to move to Toronto from small town Ontario, Canada, going to Toronto to make it big. I remember making that phone call back to mom. Mom, can I come back home? And, and I mentioned and <laughs> got grade twelve GED, whatever it was later. But here is one other question, for, and we're going to wrap up in a moment. Russell Ward says, I'm curious how Billy evolved his unique sound. He may have not invented tapping, per se, but playing chords on the bass. I'm not aware of anyone else who does all those things so fluidly. So where did that come from? Was that was was there some guitar player inspiration? Was there, I mean, you really have taken it to levels. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Stuart Ham as well, too. I love Stu Hamm. Uh, there's a there's a real short list of bass players that really move me, and I'll just say this for a quick second. You are on that top of that list, and it's not just because you're on the show today, but you're on the top of that list. Sure. Stu Ham is is a big favorite of mine, and even though Michael Anthony is not in the same wheelhouse as players of, of the two you two fellows, I mean, you certainly could not have Van Halen without what he did. But where did your where did your sound and technique come from? That's basically started with Russell Ward's question. Well, um, I saw Billy Gibbons in 1974 ago, and, and I, I, that's where I got uh, hammer-ons from. He also did the pitch harmonic with me then. And I, so I figured out how to do that with my finger now, because I love ZZ Top, and I love Billy Gibbons. And uh, then, uh, and I thought I was the only one in the world that did it. Yeah. Not only was hitting, but I started doing. Realized that I could hit down and pull off. And, and build from there, and create, and build, and work from that foundation. And I thought I was the only one that did it to that extent. It was a little different than Billy Gibbons. Then, of course, 1978 came along, 
Van Halen train hit me like a ton of bricks and Ed, of course, on his own and really developed it uh, further than I had it at that time. Absolutely. No, no question about it. But here's a funny thing. And uh, all due respect, I know the story where Ed went into Tower Records because the Van Halen was called Genesis. Right. And he went and he found a, a record by Genesis. Because wait, there's already a Genesis. So now on a Genesis record from the early days is a song called either uh, Return of the Giant Hogweed or Attack of the Giant Hogweed. Okay. And uh, I don't know if Ed took that record home or not, but I suspect he did because because the song opens. That repeats that so is it obvious hammer on the sounds a lot like yeah like erup eruption, eruption. yeah there's some similarities there for sure it's interesting yeah. now ed rules and uh if if he copped that off the record he still rules and probably rules even more <laughs> there's no no slide on him at all but it's kind of interesting to see how things and i remember reading uh, there's a couple local guys that were doing some tapping oh yeah and uh you know that's how that how that came about but for me, it came from Billy Gibbons. And then um, a lot of times I was in a three-piece band in the early days. I said it earlier. And uh, we had to do extra things. I had to do extra things on bass to make up for lack of keyboard or rhythm guitar player. And so I always, like, instead of just playing, like, a, a low E for the enemy song, da, 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 when I hit da, 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 an octave, when I hit a whole, when I hit make it bigger with chordal things, and, and make up for the lack of personnel there. So um, by necessity, things started happening along those lines. And then when you just uh, free form, if you're tapping and hitting the neck, you know, and eventually. We start arpeggiating chords like that. And that's why when I'm sitting down here practicing in the morning, I come up with things and some of them will make it to the stage. Some of them you may never see ever because they're impractical or whatever. But um, I like the idea of uh, being unlimited. And I, I was lucky to grow up in Buffalo without anybody saying no to nice. me. Nice. And the band I was in, I know I, I drove them crazy. The original guys in town that drove them out of their mind because I was always overdoing it or always experimenting and always trying as a new amp or trying that and it was all those years that i that i really started to develop things uh, fortunately i was in an environment where i was kind of unleashed and it, it helped me to have that spirit of experimentation and trying different things so i i i owe a debt to that situation as well but uh there's there's really um i do like a lot of uh there's a lot of things that i think i do that I know better now to think that I'm the only person that does it because somewhere somebody on the internet is going to find a guy that does it too. Of course. <laughs> like there, there's an Italian guitarist from 45, 1945 who was tapping all over the place. Oh, you I know, saw that. Yes. Anybody did that, you know. There's nothing new under the sun, but there is an immense reconfiguration and also applying one thing from one instrument to another. Like if I do a tapping. Uh, Tapping the, uh, turn the distortion up. Tapping the, an octave. Doing 
comes from seeing piano players playing an octave by spreading their fingers apart. Sure. So do the same thing. It looks Star Trek I know. It's kind of a nice way to add a little, you know, you're just playing on a regular. Add one little, yeah, little little thicker uh, frosting on some that sass, spot or a little, some sass. Yeah, little things. I love it. That's what. As we wrap up here, first of all, I want to thank you for for your time again. And I don't want to put you in the spot by comparing Winery Dogs to Rush because I know you love Rush too. You're Rush fans. You had the opportunity to work with the jam with them at a sound check. Uh, you know, taking over Getty spot for a little bit. But at the same time, I will compare you to Rush. Because, okay, we got Mike Portnoy, who could certainly be, you know, if he was to fill in for, uh, and I don't want to say he could be the next Neil Part, but I mean, he could certainly fill in and do justice. I mean, your talent, yeah, your talent on bass is insane. Richie's talent on guitar is insane and vocals. But that three piece, because each of you guys bring so many landscapes to the band, it's like not not all three piece can have legs like Rush has and Winery Dogs has, and I don't mean to single out any of the three piece bands. There's probably thousands of great ones, but because you bring like these frequencies, you bring as a bass player, you bring lead and, and rhythm and everything to the bass and the guitar and things like that. I think that's why that band stands out so much, and you as a bass player stands out so much because you just you're bringing many many tricks to the table. Well, um, thank you very much. I. I uh... In fact, uh, just because of my situation in life, I wasn't a Rush fan early on. Mm-hmm. So all their early records and stuff, I, I didn't hear. Plus, I'm uh, I'm older, so I was into the first wave of prog music with King Crimson, Genesis, bands like that. Sure. So uh, by the time Rush came around, I already moved, kind of moved on from that. Uh, and so my ignorance, of course, I, and plus... There's only so many hours in the day you can get into so many bands, and, True. I, and Rush kind of got by me. I wasn't it wasn't necessarily my thing. Now, when Mr. Big ended up touring with Rush, I got the opportunity to hear them more than ever every mm-hmm. night, and really fell in love with the band. Uh, you should do a song called "The Pass" off of uh, uh, the tour we did with the Rabbit. Sorry, I get uh, Presto. Yeah, Presto tour. Sorry. And on top of that, they're the nicest people you could ever imagine. Awesome. Getty, just a great, pure, wonderful, great tone, supreme facility, singing and playing, mind-blowing, and performing it all to Alex and Neil. Just, just great. I, 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 you know, they were so kind to us. I, I'll never forget it. I, I owe them uh, forever for allowing us to do that tour. And they were really, really a great thing. Uh, but I, I believe you know it's it's different than what we're doing on the winery dogs. Uh, I think because of Richie's voice, that moves us to a bluesier, free bad company. Paul Rogers, kind of a Steve Marriott, maybe a little bit too from Humble Pie. Right, moves us there. And uh, Mike still has elements of his uh, more uh, aggressive and accomplished playing, but he also pulls back in the winery dogs and and lays it down sometimes, which is really cool. Remember when I first played the Winery Dogs for Dennis Chambers? And he said, "Wow, I, I never heard my groove like that. It's fantastic." <laughs> he, he, he dug it. That's and nice. As far as my playing goes, too. When I first started on the Winery Dogs, I think I was, uh, you know, pretty aggressive. But I, I've I've started now to fall into a nice spot where I I don't have to do a lot. Right. I can la- I can lay back and play solid. And in a way, I'm kind of um, more of a 
uh, not to uh, compare myself to him, uh, or, or uh, but Entwistle kind of held it together. Yes. While Townsend went wild, and while Keith Moon went wild. So uh, sometimes I feel like a little bit like I'm like that. Like I'm hold, holding that note and keeping time. Well, while Mike does this thing, who's in time, of course, and Richie sometimes looks to me for that, just to make sure there's somebody just holding that thing there. And I love having that job as the bass player. And then sometimes I jump off, and Mike keeps it solid, or Richie does. So it's kind of cool that we can all trade positions in that respect. Yeah. What I remember and, you, said, uh, you said to me on the last time you were here, you said, like, of all the acts that you've played with, I mean, it's like having children. What's your favorite child? You don't want to necessarily say, but you had said winery dogs really hold. And I was surprised when you told me this, uh, which is cool, though. You said winery dogs really holds a special place in your heart. And I think probably from what you just said, because, you know, they're not necessarily expecting this every single time when they come out to see the show. You know, they're 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 here. They're there for the show. And you can be either be Billy Sheen or you can be holding back in the pocket, whatever you want. And that's probably less pressure and more enjoying the moment. Well, it is really enjoyable. It's one song we do live, Regret. And it's uh, an incredible. I love that piece so much. And playing that, and there have been times on stage, I got a tear in my eye, just so much emotion in that song. And just, a, I'm playing these giant fat whole notes. Mike's playing blast sticks nice. way back, keeping his pocket, you know, to die for, a great pocket. Richie's just singing. Sometimes he does the first half on piano. And it's, it's, a, it's a really touching song. So it ain't always about... Exactly. Bye bye, long shot. It's funny, and you get branded with that too, because... Uh, Somebody takes a video and pulls my solo off it and posts that on YouTube. And then you get a hundred thousand. That's all he ever does is solo. The <laughs> only solos. The only thing he ever does. You're missing it. You're missing oh, no, it. There was, there was a whole show and this was just a small part of it. That's know? right. Funny. Oh, that's that's insane. Well, listen, we are at the 430 Mark Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank you for, I mean, I could not ask for uh, a better guest to kick off my final episode of season three. I'm probably only going to be taking two weeks off before I come back into season four. But it's your right. third time here on the channel, and uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know fans were very excited to see you here. I wish Wonderful. you the uh, the very, very best in 2019. Anything else you'd like to share with us that's coming up in 2019 event-wise, business as usual, or things we don't know about? I'm going to do a zillion clinics in South America in September, and then in October to the uh, EU and UK for clinics. And I'm finally off in November, and I'm hoping to, uh, at some point, start to do some writing with the winery dogs. Good. We're finished with the new Sons of Apollo, which is going to be a riotous record. I'm really looking forward to that. And we'll be doing some touring uh, next year on that, of course. And I just, uh, we spoke earlier about sharing a preset, so I'm going to try to pick one out here okay. to, to post. And again, I give the caveat that... Uh, it's, it's, it's set up in a particular way to, to accommodate the dual input, dual output. So if somebody wants to utilize it in that respect, you might have to do some configuring. No problem. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to be out playing around and whatever, and I'm easy to find. You can find me on Facebook or uh, Instagram. I answer my email myself. I respond to people myself, and I'm Billy at BillySheehan.com is my email. So if I can be of any help to anyone out there in any capacity to whatever time allows, uh, I'm happy to do it. 
Well, that's fantastic. What I'll do right after the show, after we say goodbye, probably maybe a little bit into the evening, I'll, I'll text you my email address, fire me over right. a couple, and I'll link the uh, presets right down to a, a Dropbox link in the description below here. So we'll have some fun with that. And speaking of which, I've got your links to your Facebook, your Twitter, and your website in the description as well, too. So And we've right. got those shared throughout the evening, too. So listen, don't go, don't go away. I'm going to say uh, goodbye to you off the air. Uh, also, you might appreciate this too. Next week over on the EVH side, I've got another bass player joining us. I've got Todd Kearns from the Slash Band uh, joining us and also from the Canadian band Took. Uh, he's going to be joining us talking all things uh, rock as well too. So that'll be next Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So Billy, thank you so very much. Don't go away. We'll say goodbye to everybody off. We'll say goodbye to you off the air. And everyone, thanks so much for joining us. Have a fantastic and safe Sunday evening. And uh, be sure to check out all the links down below. And we will see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.